we gather here to seek the truth, to grow in love, to join in service, to celebrate life's beauty and find healing for its pain, to honour our kinship with each other and with the earth, to create a more compassionate world, beginning with ourselves, to wonder at the mystery that gave us birth, to find courage for the journey's end, and to listen, to listen for the wisdom that guides us in the quietness of this moment. So good morning everyone and welcome, welcome to Essex Church and to this our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. Welcome to anyone who is new here today, welcome to all who gather here regularly, welcome to occasional visitors, welcome everyone. We meet here each Sunday morning for all sorts of reasons. Some of us need time for ourselves, time to go within, time to sit quietly with our thoughts, time to listen to that inner voice of guidance. Some of us are here to reconnect with one another and to enjoy a sense of community a community built around our liberal religious faith. Whatever brings us here, it's good to spend time together, to turn away from the outer world with all its hustle and its bustle, and to turn instead to that place within. In that inner world, there can be more room room for us to expand into that which we truly are. In that inner world, there may be peace and space for us to hear an inner voice, accessing the wise and gentle guidance of our higher self, perhaps. So I invite you to take a moment now. Let's align ourselves with all that is great and good, with the spirit of life and love itself, that courses through us and through all that exists. May this loved building of ours be filled with peace this morning. May our silences and our singing reflect our gratitude for our lives. And may we be both strengthened and softened for the day that lies ahead. May this simple chalice flame, symbol of Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist communities around our world, may it remind us of the one light of the Spirit that shines in all that exists. And in our remembering, may we affirm once more our commitment to love and to justice and to equality the world over. May our little light indeed shine brightly this day. It seems to me that quite often in stories here, I'm telling people to take care with power tools. And this story is no exception. Take care with anything that cuts. And so, this story goes that there was a man 
clearing brambles. You know those really prickly things that grow in a garden if you leave it for a while? This man was clearing brambles from his big garden. The day was hot and sweat got into his eyes and he couldn't see very well. And he swung his chainsaw in a way that you should never do when you're dealing with a chainsaw. And do you know what he did? No, he didn't chop off his leg. He accidentally sawed through the trunk of a really lovely walnut tree. Now, as you perhaps know, walnut trees take quite a long time to grow. Do you know it takes at least 10 years to get the first few little walnuts from a walnut tree? And then it takes many, many more years to have a really large shady tree to sit be below. This tree, the tree that he had just cut down with his out-of-control chainsaw, had just given its first crop of nuts. Oh, that man felt so bad about having cut down the tree that he determined to unchop it. And from that time, he devoted all his spare time to the project. As you can imagine, it was a project that was going to last many, many years. So first of all, he collected all the branches that had broken when the tree hit the ground. There were many of these, and he spent hours matching the splintered pieces and then carefully gluing them back into place. And then something else awful happened. The leaves all began to turn brown and fall off. So he carefully glued each one back in place. He spent hours mixing the paint to get exactly the right colour of green. Then he repainted the leaves. That took a really long time as well, painting leaves. He worked all the time. Sometimes he worked so hard that he forgot to go to his day job. The bills began to pile up. Sometimes he worked so hard that he forgot to eat anything at all that day. He grew a bit thin. Sometimes he forgot to sleep and he went around with both eyes half closed. Now reattaching the trunk of the cut walnut tree was very tricky. He had to pull the roots completely out of the ground to do this. Spent a long time getting the rings to match exactly before he glued it into place. And then of course the next problem was the roots had now been torn out of the ground so he had to dig holes to get them back into place. As they dried out, he rubbed expensive oils into the wood to keep it looking nice. In the end, he had to stop going to his day job altogether. He just devoted his life to unchopping his much-loved young walnut tree. At last, the tree was ready to be hoisted back into place. Far too heavy for him to do. He'd grown so weak through not eating and not sleeping. So with the last of his savings, he hired a crane and some men to help him. And over several days, they rigged up a harness that wouldn't hurt the tender bark of the tree and attached a strong chain to it. The crane arrived with wheels. And you know, the men had to knock down a portion of the fence to get into the garden. They held the chain carefully up towards the arm of the the chain to get up to the crane and then the man driving the crane said sorry gov i just can't seem to get close enough to it 
and he pointed to where a young walnut tree had grown up during all the years of the man's labours. <laughs> Do you know, that walnut tree was just at the point of bearing fruit for the first time. Don't worry, said the man, I'll just go and get my chainsaw. That'll soon sort it out. And that's the story of unchopping a walnut tree. I'm inviting all of you now to, to join in a time of prayer and reflection and to, um, to call on the divine spirit of life and love to be with us now and to bless all that we say and do together here this day. In, in this world of so much foolishness, may we be gentle with the <coughs> foolish parts of ourselves as well as with the stupidities of others. Knowing our human ability to fool ourselves and to be led astray by others, may we attempt to be people who can face the truth with both honesty and compassion. Dear God of our hearts and our understanding, help us to move on from mistakes. Encourage us to move on from the mistakes made by others, knowing that our grudges and our disappointments hurt mainly ourselves. And help us to move on from mistakes we have made, learning from our errors as best we can, yet not caught up in them still. And as we consider our world with, with all its issues, may the spirit of compassion help us to feel the suffering of the peoples and the creatures of our world. May the spirit of love melt cold hearts that trample on human rights. May the spirit of beauty help us to preserve the unique splendors of each country. May the spirit of wisdom help us to treasure the mystical insights of all religions and philosophical paths. May the spirit of patience and endurance strengthen those who are oppressed and exiled from their homes. May the spirit of courage strengthen those who speak for those who have no voice. May the spirit of non-violence Bring healing, peace and justice to all peoples of the world. May the spirit of unity help us to recognise people of every nation as kindred pilgrim souls.
And in the spirit of love and justice, I invite you now in a few moments of silence to send your thoughts and prayers where you feel there is a need, be that places within yourself, in those you love, or in our wider world. May the blessing of love and compassion be with all beings this day and help each of us to say yes, yes to life. Amen. This is from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. It is an important and popular fact that things are not always what they seem. On the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was more intelligent than the dolphins because he had achieved so much. The wheel, New York, wars. While all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time. But conversely, the dolphins had always believed that they were far more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. Curiously enough, the dolphins had long known of the impending destruction of Earth and had made many attempts to alert mankind, but most of their communications were misinterpreted as amusing attempts to punch footballs or whistle for tidbits, so they eventually gave up and left Earth by their own means. The last ever dolphin message was misinterpreted as a surprisingly sophisticated attempt to do a double backward somersault through a hoop while whistling the Star Spangled Banner. But in fact, the message was this. So long, and thanks for all the fish. You, um, you probably know that we make our living here at Essex Church by renting the rooms in this building to many, many different groups. And sorting out our lettings is Jenny, our warden's job, but I get involved with the groups too, inevitably. And I can reveal this early on a Sunday, because not too many of our groups will be listening in, that if you're the warden or the minister living here, you build up your own secret list of the most favourite and the least favourite groups. I'd best not reveal any names on the least favourite list, though I will share with you my private mantra, spoken silently in my head whenever they drive me up the wall. They're paying my wages, they're paying my wages. <laughs> Yippity yippity doo. <laughs> On Friday night, Jenny and I attended the last meeting of our Jewish synagogue, Beit Klal Yisrael, a group formed specifically for gay and lesbian Jews and, and anyone who didn't feel welcome within mainstream Jewish communities. Beit Klal are our favourite group and they're going to be really missed after their some 25 years with us. 
Over the years, I have attended parts of their high and holy day festivals, but Friday night was the first time I'd been to one of their regular Shabbat services. And you know how it is in life. I was thinking, why didn't I come sooner? It's ridiculous that I've missed this. They follow their Shabbat services with a delightful shared meal. We were welcomed as special guests and the service was fascinating. We sat in a circle which kept expanding as people arrived late from work or popped in and out to the kitchen. And they have a mainly sung liturgy. I've now been presented with a, a copy of it, written in their own printed order of service books, sung unaccompanied. And then because they don't currently have a rabbi, one of their members spoke about a reading from the Torah, their scripture, and she called it the portion and the same passage will be read and commented upon in synagogues all around the world. In Beit Klal's tradition, they feel quite at ease to butt in with their own interpretations of the text. Some contradictory, some very funny. In the space of a few minutes, they brought in 21st century politics, the gender inequalities behind Pharaoh's slaying of the firstborn, <laughs> and the problems caused by thinking that you're the chosen ones. Now, I know that probably doesn't happen in most synagogues, but it reminded me that Judaism has a long tradition of commentary on scripture as a source of wisdom, a source that must be reconsidered by each generation and indeed by each individual and community. So in this address, I'm celebrating the fact that we as Unitarians, like members of Beit Klal, encourage an active engagement with the texts we consider in worship. Though personally, I prefer just occasional heckling rather than <laughs> constant. I'm celebrating the fact that we can refer to so many diverse sources of wisdom in our worship, and also that all of us in the 20th and 21st centuries have all gained access to so many sources that were once hidden or lost to us. If, like me, you're an eager explorer of spiritual traditions, then this is a richly resourced time to be alive. In this month in which we're exploring wisdom as a theme, I really enjoy hearing from all of you what particular sources of wisdom you most appreciate. And, and I sometimes forget that our kind of services where we gather our materials from such eclectic sources is quite unusual still. I met an Anglican priest at um, an interfaith event a few years ago who'd long had an association with Unitarian communities. And he told me how he'd love to include a poem in a service or a newspaper article or a reading from a religious tradition other than his own. So he'd probably, I reckon, be a bit jealous of our reading earlier from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, reminding us that we humans might not be the wisest species here on planet Earth after all. So we're fortunate in our diverse sources and we have to be a bit cautious in our use of other religions, um, sacred texts and rituals. The whole issue of cultural appropriation or misappropriation is worthy of a textbook, not a short address like this. Cultural appropriation could be described as taking elements of one culture for use by another, particularly when there is a power imbalance of, of one or other of the cultures. So classic examples could be the use of, say, a Maori or, or first people ritual by people who have no connection with that community. 
Now, it's a complex topic and it requires an awareness of economic and political power imbalances, also in the context in which the appropriation is made. Suffice to say that I think I and many others have in recent years tried to become more thoughtful in using the words of another religion, and I would now tend to avoid recreating another religion's uh, ritual, unless it's one that I already practice myself or have in the past, and one that I've been taught by those within the tradition. Another caution for me to be uh, wary of is anyone um, using the weight of a particular sacred text to back up their own argument? You know the kind of thing. Sadly, there will be church leaders somewhere on this planet this day who will be using the Hebrew and Christian scriptures to strengthen their own particular campaigns. They might be using the description in the book of Leviticus, poorly translated, um, where same-sex relationships are described as an abomination, they might be using that to justify their own warped views. Or using various biblical texts in both the Old and New Testaments which state that women must not be allowed to preach or to be religious leaders, justifying power being kept solely in, in men's hands. I do quite like, though, Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verses 12 to 13, and I advise all of you to go back to that, particularly if you're feeling a little sleepy at this moment. Kill anyone who refuses to listen to a priest. <laughs> yes, I could go on. Now, if you've not read every single word of this month's newsletter, I can highly recommend our very own Jane Blackall's sermon on hermeneutics, the strange name that is given to the study of how we interpret texts. Jane was encouraging us all to engage more with sacred writings rather than less, reminding us that when an author and a text and a reader meet, there is a creative process that brings forth new thought, new inspiration, new possibilities for dialogue. And since I've already brought an academic term, hermeneutics, into this service, and it's only 11.45 on a Sunday morning, I'm going to bring in one more term from the study of the sociology of religion, where you will find a delicious French word, bricolage, used. It's a word with no exact translation, although I might be wrong about that. I mean, I, I know it as a kind of, it, it refers to a do-it-yourself kind of approach to task, bringing bits from one source or another together to recreate something. In anthropology, it was first used by cultural theorist Claude Lévi-Strauss to explain how one culture gains from another. British food, for example, is clearly now a bricolage of global cuisine, praise be, because it used to be a bit grim in the olden days. And in the realm of 21st century spirituality, some simple examples of bricolage might be, I don't know, say a, a yoga group chanting um, a Hindu prayer at the end of their class or the Western fascination with the Jewish mystical tradition of the Kabbalah, which is unbelievably complex, or a Tai Chi group um, learning about the Taoist concept of qi, life energy, 
Or what about us Unitarians with our love of the Sufi mystic poet Rumi, brought to us in easily understood poems translated from 14th century Persian to 21st century English? Now, none of these examples are meant to be critical. We're really fortunate to have access to so many varied sources of wisdom. They assist us, don't they, on our own unfolding journey of faith. But in a world awash with words of wisdom, I think we'll do well to remind ourselves of the value of putting down roots and giving ourselves chance to integrate the sources of wisdom that attract us. Because wisdom has to be lived and experienced. It can't be just bought off a shelf. It can't just be taken in by our busy minds when we read a, a book or listening to a fascinating speaker. <laughs> in, in an age I think when wisdom can start to seem in quite short supply, particularly in the political world, well, let us use all the available resources and valuable resources at our disposal to bring people together, um, to celebrate the gift of life, and to honor diversity, diversity that respects and values and works always towards greater justice. That, I reckon, will be real wisdom. Amen. Marcel Proust reminds us that we don't receive wisdom. We must discover it for ourselves after a journey that no one can take for us or spare us. So as we walk the path of life in the week ahead, the path that is ours alone, the journey we must take. May we be gentle observers of our own foolishness and the foolishness of others. May we be brave explorers of life's sources of wisdom, particularly the messages we find hard to understand and the wisdom that does not fit our expectations of how life should be. Let us remember with gratitude that in this journey of life, there is always more to learn. Amen. Go well and blessed be.